الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين نحمده في السراء ونحمده في الضراء ونحمده على كل حال وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله واحد أحد فرد صمد لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله وصفيه وخليله لقد جاءكم رسول من أنفسكم عزيز عليه ما عنتم حريص عليكم بالمؤمنين رؤوف رحيم فإن تولوا فقل حسبي الله لا إله إلا هو عليه توكلت وهو رب العرش العظيم من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يتوكل على الله فهو حسبه ومن يتوكل على الله فإن الله على كل شيء قدير ومن يتوكل على الله فالله غالب على أمره ولكن أكثر الناس لا يعلمون أما بعد Dear committed Muslims, brothers and sisters If a person reads very carefully and understands very thoroughly Allah's revealed guidance to us he will get an unmistakable impression and conviction that it is an extremely important priority that Muslims come together understand each other stay together and act and behave as one body of people but as we look around and we think of our surroundings we realize we don't behave in the manner that Allah and his Prophet expects us to do the ayat in this regard are plenty we've mentioned many of them before I will mention an ayah to jumpstart this khutbah 
ولا تكونوا كالذين تفرقوا واختلفوا من بعد ما جاءهم البينات وأولئك لهم عذاب عظيم This ayah from Surah Ali Imran says the general meaning of it is don't be like those who separated themselves from each other and then disputed with each other after clear evidence has come to them their result shall be a grand suffering and the Prophet of Allah may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his refers to the collectivity of Muslims as one body we are supposed to be just like one body if something aches in one side of the body all the other sides of the body all the other components of the body respond to that particular deficiency whatever it may be this is how we're supposed to be with each other but it seems like and excuse me for pumping the word it seems like we suffer from a social cancer and that type of cancer has put distances between us and among us and Allah has given us an expanse a breather take it easy be confident of yourself and have good faith in the other Muslim even though the other Muslim does not 100% agree with your personal convictions now let us come down a little from abstract and theory let's come down to the real world and let's begin with some history when the Quran was revealed you you and I know that the prohibition of Khamr intoxicants was done in stages it wasn't done all of a sudden there was not one ayah came down and said Khamr is prohibited therefore you can't drink it didn't occur that way it was a gradual process it took months if not years to have the Muslim public break the habit of intoxication and drinking and getting drunk the two last ayat there are four references in the Quran to this process the last two of them Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the fact that in this intoxicant there are benefits but there's harm and the harm is more than the benefit that's not saying it's haram that's not saying you can't drink 
it's indirectly saying that you should be careful with what you are drinking or you should try as much as possible to drink less the wording of this that's the, the final ayah says but before that says speaking about intoxicants and gambling it says the the harm and the fault that comes from either drinking or gambling is much more than the benefit that comes from them some muslims listening to this in the time of the prophet they said we don't want to we don't want this anymore we don't want to drink anymore others kept on drinking there's nothing in our history books that the limited human being that I am through reading and covering this area there's nothing that indicates that Muslims got hostile with one another or become became more some of them consider themselves more dedicated to Allah than the others just because they said we don't want to drink anymore we're not drinking anymore and the prohibition was not revealed then finally when the psychological fact set in and Allah says you avoid it avoidance is much more than tahreem the ayah in the Quran in which the edibles were made haram حُرِّمَتْ عَلَيْكُمُ الْمَيْتَةُ وَالدَّمُ وَلَحْمُ الْخِنْزِيرِ وَمَا أُهِلَّ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ بِهِ وَالْمُنْخَنِقَةُ وَالْمَوْكُوذَةُ وَالْمُتَرَدِّيَةُ وَالنَّطِيحَةُ وَمَا أَكَلَ السَّبُعُ إِلَّا مَا ذَكَّيْتُ مَا ذُبِحَ عَلَى In this tahreem, in this prohibition, al-khamr was not mentioned. Why? Because whether it is dead meat whether it is blood whether it is pork whatever it is you can pass by it you can even carry it with your hand but al-khamar allah used the word said you stay away from it meaning you keep your distance not only you don't consume it you keep your distance from it These individuals in Allah's Prophet's time, they heard all of this and they acted in this manner, but in the difference of their opinion, no one was claiming I'm a better Muslim than you are. In that well-known event after the battle of Al-Khandaq, the most serious threat the existential threat that the Muslims had in which there was a trench that was dug around al Medina, and by the way that trench that was dug around the, mid- Medi- around the city of al Medina 
was the suggestion of Salman al-Farisi, who is a Persian. Now, the, in today's mentality, I'm just jumping a little out of the subject for a moment. In today's mentality, the Prophet was listening to a Persian. And so, in today's world, if we were under the spell and influence of the Saudi mouthpieces, we would think that the Prophet was an agent of the Persians. That's how poisoned our public mind has become because of the inf- misinformation that circulates. Anyways, back to the aftermath of Al Khandaq, the Battle of Al Khandaq. The Prophet said, Man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawm al-akhir fala yusalliyanna al-asra illa fi bani Quraydah. Whoever is committed to Allah and attests to the final day should not pray al-asr except in Bani Quraydah. Bani Quraydah was like a suburb of Al-Madinah. Just to give you a sense of what that meant. So they had to they had to go from one side of Al-Madinah to the to the other side of Al-Madinah. And the Muslims around him, all of them heard what he said. لا يصليّن أحدكم العصر إلا في بني قريضة. Some Muslims understood that they actually had to pray al-Asr when they arrived at Bani Qurayza. The others understood the Prophet to mean, make haste, hurry up. It doesn't mean you have to pray al-Asr there. It just means hurry up and be there. Finally, when they all arrived there, some of them said they prayed the Asr. Others said, but the Prophet said, we have to pray Al-Asr here. This could have been an issue of division and contention and arguments and bad feelings. No, no, no. The Prophet said, both of you are correct. Both of them were correct. They did two different things. They listened to the same words from the... No one disputed any word the Prophet said. But the behavior was different from both of them. It didn't cause them to be divided. It didn't cause some of them to claim, oh, we're smarter than you are, or these other things that happen in our real world around us. At another time in Islamic history, during the time of Harun al-Rashid, one of the rulers of Bani al-Abbas, this was the time during when Malik ibn Anas, the faqih, the well-known faqih, who has the Maliki school of thought, he had put together a compilation of the Prophet's hadiths called Al-Muwatta. And the ruler in Baghdad wanted to impose Al-Muwatta on all the Muslims. This is the only, to tell the, all the Muslims, this is the only reliable book of hadith. Before he wanted to do that, he went to Imam Malik and he said, this is what I think should be done. 
Malik opposed that. He said, no, you can't do that. I did my best in putting these hadiths together, but there are some other hadiths because the those who memorize the hadith they spread out throughout the land some of them are in africa some of them are in asia some of them may be in parts of europe i couldn't go all over these places i did my best in the capacity that i had so i object to you imposing this book of mine on the rest of the muslims what does this say about imam malik's followers who want to impose that and marginalize other books of hadith. There's al-hijama, something that causes, it's a medical procedure. You go and then blood flows out of you to relieve certain symptoms of ailment in the body. The extraction of blood from the body, according to Abu Hanifa and Ahmad, annuls the wudu. If you did hijama, and then after that you want to go and, and do your salah, you have to make your wudu all over again. Malik says no. If blood comes out of you, it does not void your wudu. These are two different opinions. What do we do? You want to argue this to death? You want Muslims to be divided because of an issue like this? Which has unfortunately has become the norm in some, I'm sorry to say, in many places. Issues like this. Imam al-Shafi'i, when he went to Baghdad, in, in praying Salat al-Fajr, in the Shafi'i school of thought, you have to say your qunut. When a Shafi'i himself, he's the one who established that school of thought. When he went to Baghdad and he prayed in the masjid in Baghdad, and the person leading the prayer was of the Hanafi school of thought, and the Hanafi school of thought, there's no qunut in Salat al-Fajr. There's a qunut in the Isha, in al-Watr, but there's no qunut in the Fard, in the two rak'ah of Salat al-Fajr. What did he do? Did they say qunut? The Imam did not say the qunut. He could have said a qunut there for a few seconds and then gone down to the sajda. No, he didn't. He just followed the imam. The head of a school of thought is following an imam of another school of thought and he follows him exactly like the imam is doing his salah. The Prophet says, An imam is one that you follow as a ma'moom. So the violation of this is the imam is doing something and you're doing something else. 
Our unity means that we recognize the other, the other Muslim, whatever his madhab may be. We recognize him as equally valid. If we can't do that, we're going to we're going to continue to suffer from what we've been suffering from. In the fiqhi books, we have opinions that are ijtihadat. This is the best judgment that the faqih reached. This doesn't mean this is an ayah. If a faqih reached a judgment on a certain matter, and his judgment violates the ayat in the Qur'an, or the hadiths of the Prophet, in as far as it puts distance between one Muslim and the other, that ijtihad doesn't fit in the Qur'an and in the Prophet's teachings. If it puts distances, he can have a different opinion, he can have another ijtihad, but if that causes distances between Muslims, you can chuck it if you refer to Allah and His Prophet. And then we have the issue of a Muslim man shaking hands with a woman. And there are multiple opinions about this. But let's take two fiqhi opinions. One of them is a Shafi, the other one is Al Hanafi. Al-Hanafi, you can shake hands with a woman or you can touch a woman and you don't have to, you don't have to do your wudu if you want to go to a salah In a Shafi'i school of thought, you have to do your wudu. Okay, so what are you going to do here? You want us to, to look at each other like we're Muslims, we're strangers to each other because of an opinion like this? And then there's the other issue, which is if we're wearing our shoes, and you know, when you're wearing your shoes, you step all over the place. And some people, when they come to a salah, they think this is their, you know, this is their opinion. They think you can pray with your shoe on. Okay, fine. But how do they get to that conclusion? They say because a Sa'id al-Tayyib, the surface of the earth, if there was some type of dirt or some type of filth on the bottom of the shoe, when you're walking on most, let's say you walked one step into something that is dirty, and then from there on, you walk 200 steps on something that is tahir. Walking those 200 steps on something that is tahir removes that filth from it. Just like if we don't have water, how do we, how do we clean ourselves? At-tayammum. We go to a sa'id al-tayyib. So that analogy, they accept. Okay, fine. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to cause tension because someone says this or someone says that. Um Salama. She used to have a long thawb. Her dress was long. 
And that long dress used to drag when she walks, used to drag on the ground. Now, you have to also take into consideration the type of surface in Mecca or in Al Medina and then in Mecca compared to the type of surface that we're talking about here. When we say a side, a type, that doesn't mean necessarily concrete or hardwood floor. It means the surface of the earth that, exp- that is exposed to the natural elements. Whether it is sun, whether it is wind, whether it is rain, these natural elements. That's called a side type. So if someone, a lady is wearing a long dress and it's dragging on a side type, can she pray or can't she pray? There, there are opinions about this. Why should we make a big issue about this? And then our energy that is supposed to be concentrated on the real issues in life is drained by these types of issues. In some schools of thought, let's not be specific, when you want to clean your private part, in some schools of thought, you can do it with using stones or other hard matter. In in other words, something besides water. And you know the whole najasa, all of the najasa, is not eliminated in the absence of water. Still, it's considered valid. What am I going to do? I'm not going to pray behind that person because he believes his istinja is complete when he doesn't use water. Is this the type of Islam, this is the type of understanding of Islam that bypasses the words of unity coming from Allah and His Prophet? We can't mature enough to say to ourselves, well, you know, that's the way the brother or the sister, that's their heart and their mind. They're convinced with this, alhamdulillah. They're convinced with it. I'm convinced with what I have. They're convinced with what we have. But we agree on the majors of Islam. And then there's the issue of khamar. Intoxicants. Let's say you take whiskey. Is that a najasa in its essence? It's called in the fiqhi language najasa ainiya. Is that a najasa ainiya or is it not? When we say najasa ainiya, we mean that it may it is najis and it makes you najis. Let's let's take cologne, perfume that has alcohol in it. If I put it on my clothes, do I become najis? Some Muslim scholars say yes. Other Muslim scholars say no. Whatever the case is, someone who doesn't have my opinion, he's going to lead the salah. I can't pray behind him. Some fuqaha, they say the khamr itself 
can become غير نجس meaning the khamar loses its najasa if it is transformed into vinegar others say no what do you want here what do you want to do make a big issue about this make a khutbah about it make a presentation about it give lessons and then knock down the rest of the muslims what do you think you're doing you feel proud of that And then finally, as an example here, there are some fuqaha that say your salah is invalid. Your salah is invalid in a stolen land. Others say no. Your salah is valid. The land is stolen. Okay, fine. But if you if the time for salah came and it's time to pray, you pray there. These are two opinions. No one ever, from my limited knowledge, no one ever developed this opinion that salah in stolen land is invalid to say then a salah in Palestine is invalid. Why? Because they want you to think about stolen land as a little territory somewhere. Maybe some person took over an acre or a few acres or an estate and he said this is his and it doesn't belong to his its original owner. But if, if you want to take a look at stolen land as a country as a nation that lives in a no 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 don't don't elevate these types because fiqhi issues are supposed to be in the realm of individuals or maybe in the realm of a community or a congregation but no fiqhi issues now you're going to have fiqhi issues expand and now they include al-ard al-maghsuba could be palestine it could be Kashmir, it could be many other places, it could be even now Mecca and Al Medina. I will end this uh, khutbah by quoting a hadith Qudsi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yabna Adam. خَلَقْتُكَ لِلْعِبَادَةِ O child of Adam, I have created you for ibadah. Ibadah doesn't mean worship. Ibadah means conforming to Allah. وَقَسَمْتُ لَكَ رِزْقَكَ فَلَا And I have allocated for you your rizq. Don't Exhaust yourself. فَإِنْ أَنْتَ رَضِيْتَ بِمَا قَسَمْتُهُ لَكَ If you are satisfied with my allocation to you, أَرَحْتُ قَلْبَكَ وَبَدَنَكَ I will relieve your heart and your body. وَكُنْتَ عِنْدِي مَحْمُودًا And you are... 
As far as I am concerned, you are much appreciated. But if you're not satisfied with what I have allocated for you, by my pride and my majesty, I will have you go back and forth, running and jogging in open land as if you were a beast, as if you were an animal with no direction. ثُمَّ لَا يَكُونُ لَكَ مِنْ And then at the end, the only thing you're going to have is what I have allocated for you. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم أدعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة توبوا إلى الله متابا الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله وجاءت رسل ربنا بالحق وصدق المرسلون Dear committed brothers and sisters After we have departed from the weight of customs and traditions and negative cultures which pretty much defines our attitudes and our relationships with with each other we're trying in the past weeks to make as clean a break as possible from the negatives that have been dividing us and killing us. I will begin by saying Allah, before I begin these pieces of information, Allah says, وَلَا تَرْكَنُوا إِلَى الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا Don't rely, don't take refuge, don't seek support from الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا From الظالمين Now what did we have in the past week? I'm sure most of you or a good number of you have heard the words that were said by the President of the United States to the King of Saudi Arabia. I don't like to put quotes from such zalimeen in a khutbah, but I'm forced to. He said, King, this was a telephone conversation. King, you got trillions of dollars. Without us, who knows what's going to happen? 
Maybe you're not going to be able to keep those airplanes. Because you know what? They'll be attacked. With us, you know, like they are safe. Totally safe. But we don't get what we should be getting. We're subsidizing their military. He's speaking to an election crowd. I said, let me ask you a question. This is Trump to Salman. Why are we subsidizing the military of these really wealthy countries? Now he's speaking to his audience. It's one thing when countries are in deep danger and a horrible thing is going on. It could be something really ugly. Hundreds of thousands, millions of people could be killed. That's one thing. But when you have wealthy countries like Saudi Arabia, and some people, this is, the president is on promoting Republicans around the country. Once he's in Minnesota, then he's in Mississippi, and then in Virginia, West Virginia somewhere. He's going around saying things like this. We wonder, these Muslims, and we're not talking about fiqhi issues here. The issues that they had us divided because of in these centuries that have passed. We're talking about issues of justice, issues of iman, issues of committing to Allah's power and authority, issues of taqwa. Who do they guard against? They guard against Allah or they guard against the United States and Israel. And then we say to the President of the United States, dare you say these same words to Israel? How much money are you giving Israel? What do the Israelis do for you? Look at the Saudis. I'm not here to promote the Saudis. But look at the Saudis did for you in all of these years. You had wars in Southeast Asia, in Vietnam. The Saudis were on your side because they said you are fighting communist atheists. So you were a propaganda piece for you in the Muslim world. When you had your wars in Central America during the 1980s, the Saudis were with you. There's what you called in your media the Iran-Contra affair. You should have called it the Saudi-Contra affair. But you know how to use your words to get away with your policies. The Saudis stood with you. And then you had this war in Afghanistan against the Soviet Union. And the Saudis recruited for you. Their propaganda went all out that this is a jihad. And they drew in many Muslims from many countries to fight an imperialist Zionist war. Then you had 
the war between Iraq and Iran, and the Saudis were with you. They financed that war like they financed other wars. They gave it propaganda propulsion. And then recently during what was called the Arab Spring, the Saudis stood with you in Libya, in Iraq, in Syria, in other places. And now look, look what the Saudis are getting. This is a this is a, a message to those who have confidence in imperialists and Zionists. On the other hand, can they learn these people who, who put trillions of dollars, the Saudis put trillions of dollars in capitalist economies, particularly the capitalist economy here? Why is the president doing what he's doing and saying what he's saying? Because there are something like three individuals who financed in the tens of millions, if not in the hundreds of millions of dollars, his campaign. Adelson, Singer, Marcus, all of these are Zionist Yehudis. And now he's paying them back. You would think someone would get a, would learn out of this and finance someone else's campaign in this country so that they can help people like the Palestinians and people like the Syrians and Yemenis and the rest of these who are being killed for profit. And then to intimidate them more, to scare the Saudi royals more, last week or two, there were some Patriot missiles that were taken out of their positions in places like, if I can recall correctly, Jordan, Kuwait, the Persian Gulf. They took the Patriot missiles out. They said, we're going to relocate them to Southeast Asia. What do you think? How do you think the rulers there watched this as it unfolded in front of their own eyes. There's much to be said about the corruption, the subservience, the sycophant attitude and behavior of the rulers of the Holy Land. There's much to be said about that. What's their response? Up until now, we haven't heard any official statement from the Saudi tribal state concerning this braggadocia by the president on the election trail. Nothing. Total silence. What are you going to say? What have they to say? Where is this Adil al-Jubair who used to be their ambassador here now is the foreign minister who was running his mouth off just three, four years ago, when this, when they imposed their war on Yemen, where is he? Why, why did he disappear? Because they can't say anything. There's a Saudi economist who has been rounded up 
and accused of having some type of connection with Qatar. And what was his crime, his objection to putting Aramco for sale, basically. The Saudis are so pinched on money that now they want to auction off Aramco. And some economists that they have objected, they say, okay, come on, you're objecting, I'm going to put you in jail. That's where he is. The person's name is Isam al-Zamil. And then we have the divorcee of Prince Al-Walid ibn Talal. She got divorced from him, I don't know, a few years ago. And she married another wealthy tycoon from the United Arab Emirates. And they had their wedding in the Ritz-Carrollton in Paris. I don't know why people go to the Ritz-Carrollton. The same Ritz-Carrollton in Paris that Princess Diana and Dudit Fayed left and had their fatal crash. And these people are going to have their wedding ceremony over there. She left a million dollars worth of jewelry in her room. And that was stolen. She said to be worth 18 million dollars. Where did that money come from? To whom that money belongs? They probably don't want to shed any light on that. And then we have a Saudi writer in Paris. He just launched a Saudi opposition in Europe. To, he calls it the patriotic mobilization to oppose that wicked and that evil government. Of course, some of his friends told him you should not do that because something is going to happen to you because the Saudis right now are nervous. You may have heard, I don't know, there's reports yet to be confirmed that one of their major scholars, Safar al-Hawali, died last week he was detained when was it a month or so ago and he was suffering from kidney failure and a fractured hip and under the circumstances the ugly and harsh circumstances in prison that he was put in some reports said that he has passed on and then another event they have One of their very balanced, very informed, very well-known scholars who was put in prison, I think it was about two years ago. He, he was in prison previously, maybe a decade ago, and then he was released. They put him back in prison. Now they take him to court and they accuse him of certain things. Like he disrespects Muawiyah or he says Muawiyah died a non-Muslim and he says that this person Hassan Farhan al-Maliki disregards the Sahaba and he prefers al-Imam al-Khumayni over Umar ibn al-Khattab and things like this. This has been going on and on and on. And then he went, 
He illegally went to Yemen and came back. How do you illegally go to Yemen? Has anyone heard from the time of Allah's Prophet? There was movement between Al-Hijaz and Yemen, people coming and going. Did anyone illegally go from Al-Hijaz to Yemen or from Yemen to Al-Hijaz? Why has it become in our time to illegally go to and from these places? These are the charges. And then he has 348 books in his possession that are not permitted. You're not permitted to have these books in that land. And then finally you have this journalist. Jamal Khashoggi, this journalist in Turkey, news reports say that he wanted to get married to a Turkish sister. Seems like he comes from Turkish origin. The word Khashoggi seems like it's a common word between Turkish and Persian. His grandfather, whoever it was, used to make spoons. So he went to the consulate there in Istanbul to get some paperwork done to get married to his new wife. He enters around 11 o'clock. First he goes a week earlier. And they told him to come back the following week. So he goes last Tuesday. He enters and he disappears there. His wife is waiting for him. She waits for a few hours. There's no communication. She contacts the authorities. The authorities get on the case. And now no one knows where he is. Is he incarcerated in the consulate? Has he been abducted? And in a secret way, channeled out of the consulate? and back to his country where who knows what will happen to him. And remember, this person is not a simple person. I mean, they call him a journalist, but he's much more than a journalist. He used to be an advisor to Turki ibn Faisal. You know, after Bandar left Washington, the ambassador that came for a couple of years was the previous head of their intelligence. This Jamal Khashoggi was his advisor. He worked for him in London, then he worked for him when he came here. He was tasked by Al-Walid ibn Talal, he tried to get a satellite station going from Bahrain called Al-Arab. It only survived for 11 hours and then it was terminated. And he was here in Washington DC as a contributor to the Washington Post. If you go to the Washington Post today, you will find they have a column that is empty. In one of the last pages of the first section, they have a column that is empty. They said, this column was supposed to be written by Jamal Khashoggi. What happened? Are these awliya amrina, these Saudis who are doing these things? It's not the first time they did this. They've done it to other dissidents in the European continent. And now there is a crisis in diplomatic relations between Turkey and Saudi Arabia. There's some gesture from the Islamic Republic of Iran for the Saudis to reconsider their position towards the United States, but they know they can't survive. 
Will they do something like that? It's very much in doubt. When you round up all of your, or the majority of your scholars, when you take the money from the majority of your billionaires and millionaires, when you enter into a capitulation agreement with the Zionist enemy, when you're financing wars that are killing millions and maiming millions of Muslims in the world, when you are doing all of that, you're going to reconsider yourself, your position? We pray and we hope that this doomed kingdom will come to its damned end in Allah's good time. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah. وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا واجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا لا تؤاخذنا إن نسينا أو أخطأنا ربنا ولا تحمل علينا إصرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وبارك على محمد وآل محمد اللهم صل على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم وبارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة Allah, I hear the Salat, I hear the 